Hello, everybody, and welcome back to... We've Got Mail! This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic uh, for the purposes of this particular podcast. You may call me Rockmeister McCool. This is a very exciting episode of We've Got Mail because we're recording at Rockmeister McCool Central. That's right. Uh, located thousands of miles below the Earth's crust, uh, my my apartment. <laughs> the rent's not great. You'd, you'd think it would be better with that location, but no. No, no it's, just... it's, it's below San Francisco, and it's, yeah, no, it's just, no, the no. rent is all the way down to the center. It's just high. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're, we have to record this at Whitney's apartment. So this might, the audio quality might be a little different. Just wanted to give you a heads up, just in case. Uh, but uh, we're here to answer some emails from you, we because sure that's are. what we do with this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, how it works is real simple. You email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Once again, that's letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We also have a P.O. Box. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Uh, it's P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Oh. Uh, Send us a physical letter if you yeah. like. We received a package recently, mysterious, a, package. a generous gift uh, of a of a board game from a, a fan of ours. Thank you very much. With and a it, letter in code, and it had a letter, and the letter was in code. We have not so cracked it yet. We, we're not going to read that because we're not smart enough to figure it out yet. I, I I took I took a gander. Maybe I can figure this thing out. Maybe I can't. Mm. We're going to give it a try. But thank you, thank you so much for the puzzle. And thank you so much for the for the for the game, and we're gonna have to try that out soon. Mm. You you rule. That's very very kind of you. Uh, when one day when our podcast network takes over the the, the airwaves mm. or whatever they call YouTube these days, eh. uh, can't, we can't say idiot box anymore, which upsets me. No, the, the idiot uh, rectangles. The, the idiot rectangle. Uh, we'll have a video podcast of some kind where we can play tabletop games. That'd be fun. We can to- totally rip off tabletop we, of the the Will oh, Wheaton they, show. They don't have. They don't have you, you, playing games. Come on, that's like what all of Twitch is. Oh uh, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, we don't. We don't have the setup for that. Like we don't have like you know yeah, good lighting not, or like we're, a, we're not, or, we, we, we don't, don't have, have a studio. clean table. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a clean table right now. Uh, so that that's a ways off, but uh, thank you so much, and we'll definitely give that a try and report back. Um, but yeah, so you email us, you ask us questions, you respond to our podcasts, you take us to task if we screw something up. The floor is yours. We try to get to as many as we can. We can never get to all of them. So let's just dive right in. Whitney, what's our first letter? Here's a letter from OK. Okay. Yeah, just an initials OK. Um, dear Bibbs and Whitney, who apparently doesn't necessarily need a fun nickname, I don't necessarily need one. Um, thank you for reading and answering my first letter to your show. You're welcome. It always gives me unreasonable amount of joy when I hear people I respect addressing me on their shows. I guess I crave the attention or something. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I decided to write again now, uh, now that I noticed how easy it is. Uh, though I try not to do it so often that it gets weird and annoying. Uh, though, didn't someone write you like a hundred times a year? Yeah, that wasn't weird or yeah, annoying. It was actually kind of nice. No, th- thank you, B-, B. Peterson did that. And yeah. uh, thank you, B, for writing in all of those yeah. letters. Uh, uh, we couldn't read them all. No, it would but, be, uh, become that would be the whole show yeah. if we did that. But uh, we did get them all. We did read them all. Yeah, we, we, we read them all. We, we, read, we read just to read them on the show. Yeah. Um, anyway, as a hobby, I've been doing my own small film reviews on YouTube in cool. Finnish uh, for about a year now. Oh, Nothing oh. as thoughtful or as deep as your professional criticism. Pish. Oh, pish. Um, 
we were just talking about Batman a minute ago. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's, whatever, it's fine. We were talking about we did like a solid fifteen minutes on Batman's trunks, uh, uh, the, on like our, the origin of the trunks and like yeah. the, how that extends into the and how we of the felt male about physique. the trunks. Yeah. That was a Patreon show. <laughs> You're doing fine, I promise you. Yeah. Um, uh, it's just a casual, I liked slash didn't like this movie because reasons type of stuff. Yet despite my project being really small with only about 60 followers, it's been enough to get me access to local press screenings. Hey, And nice. now even to upcoming content on Disney+. Plus. Ooh, well done. very cool. Good for you. Uh, now, an interesting problem came up with my review of the Beatles documentary series, Get Back. The streaming service Disney pre- uh, presented it for critics uh, and did not work well. The stream kept lagging. It kept making the experience really annoying. Normal Mm. Disney Plus runs so smoothly. It's not my shitty internet connection's fault either. Uh, In addition, no subtitle options were available. Uh, My English is quite good, and I usually only use English subtitles when watching English-speaking content. But no such things were provided for this critic's version of the show. It was really hard for me to understand the thick accents of the Beatles and to hear them when they mumbled. Now, neither of these problems are the fault of director Peter Jackson, nor the band members for speaking the way they speak, but it did affect my experience a lot, and probably made my review even more negative than it would have been uh, had it been presented correctly. Yeah. Excuse me. Uh, I mean, imagine suffering almost eight hours of that. Of course, I only do this for a hobby, so it doesn't really matter, so I can say almost whatever the fuck I want, can't I? But I'm curious, how would... How would you, as professionals, deal with a situation like this? Do you mm. think it's fair that poor presentation from the distributor affects your review in such a strong way? Personally, yeah. in my review, I explain the situation and put it on Disney for presenting it like that. Uh, keep up being awesome, both of you, with love and respect. Okay. Uh, I think you handled it well, okay. Uh, the way that we consume a work of art isn't necessarily the way that the artist wanted us to do so. Mm. Uh, you may look at a painting, but you might probably going to see a picture in a book. You're not going to see it live. You're not going to get the sense of the full texture. You won't get it in the perfect lighting wherever they painted it. Mm-hmm. That's not an option to you. You do what you can. You might have a favorite song, but you probably never heard it on perfectly mixed 7.1 speakers. You probably mm-hmm. heard it on a radio or on a computer. Same thing with movies. Most movies are optimized to be seen on the big screen. Mm. Problem is, most movies are only available to be shown on the big screen for a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, if they're really popular. Mm. And then the rest of the time, they're on home video, and you're either watching maybe like a pretty good Blu-ray, maybe a bad Blu-ray, it happens, or you're watching streaming, and you're at the victim of... Uh, or not the victim, you're, you're, you're at the mercy, rather, mm. of your streaming speeds, how many people are watching that day. Uh, how good the service is. And sometimes you get a situation like we sometimes get in screeners as critics where there's a lot of lag. There's a lot of loading times. Sometimes there's a lot of artifacting. Sometimes in order to prevent piracy, which really hasn't been a thing with critics ever, really. There's been like a couple of isolated incidents like 20 years ago. And since then, nothing. So it's mm-hmm. it's they're they're kind of ruining the presentation it's, of the movies for no reason. But I, I do, those movies they'll emblazon our name across the entire yeah, screen, and that's obviously very distracting. It, and so it, that's it, not it, ideal. It's always nice when uh, Nicole Kidman got a, my name tattooed on her face. Uh, <laughs> the uh, I, I don't think it's they say it's to prevent privacy, uh, piracy, mm-hmm. but I think uh, studios do that to give their films a little bit more of a rarefied air. It's like a, a special product that you have to jump through a couple of hoops to get. Mm-hmm. It's not just something you can... They're trying to like add value to the experience. 
Um, uh, they're maybe trying to discourage you from watching it that way. They yeah. want you to see it in the theater if you can. You know, the, with the best uh, presentation that they can control. Yeah, maybe they, that's it. A lot of studios. That's a conspiracy theory been, mentality. In though, I don't know. in uh, recent years, uh, studios have been getting better about giving me better quality screeners. That's true. Uh, it has uh, gotten there, better. There's gotten better. there have been uh, days when I had to wait three hours to watch a ninety minute film yep. because I had to restart films numerous yeah, times. Awful, just awful. If that's your only access to it, you just kind of have to gut it out as a critic. Well, and, if, if uh, you well if you you have to if you're doing this as your, as a hobby yeah. you don't technically have to no, review anything no, no. but if you're assigned it or if mm. it's like your job for like you're you're it's really important to you that you review this yeah that's what you just that's what you got yeah, you uh, get the version you have and if the problem with the presentation has nothing to do with the film itself you shouldn't dock the film for it it's not the film's fault but you can talk about that. I mean, mm. Ebert used to talk all the time about when he would like see a movie and the movie is fine, but, but the projection dim, was yeah. yeah the, oftentimes the projectionists um, would you would dim the light bulbs in the projector or they'd unscrew it slightly. Well, Ostensibly, they unscrew, it's, well, it's, it's whatever they do. It's not like it's not like a light bulb you screw in at your. Well, that's how he described it's, it. It's this gigantic contraption. He described yeah. it that way. But in any case, the idea is if you dim the light bulb, you will extend the life of the light bulb Which and is thus not save true, money. By the way, that's yeah. not even true. So you're just ruining the presentation of the film for no fucking reason. Mm. So if a lot of filmmakers, when they have cloud, like get really you know, uh, really severe about how they want their film to be shown. I know Paul Thomas Anderson is really gung-ho about trying to make sure people see his new film, Licorice Pizza, in 70 millimeter mm-hmm. on a screen. Christopher Nolan, obviously, is very, very big on making sure people get the full theatrical experience. Denis Villeneuve was very, was very adamant that Dune be seen on the biggest screen possible. He couldn't control that, but that's what he wanted. And I'm sure it looks the best yeah, way possible there, but it also has to work other ways. It has to work other ways, and... Um... Uh, th- this became a, sort of a, a talking point with critics when 3D was big. Mm. And we would go to screenings and we would get it sort of like in the, the prime presentation. Yeah. You know, big, big screen with the 3D glasses. Often like the best version of the 3D because sometimes there are different levels of 3D. The mm-hmm. quality of the glasses. Well, there's glasses and, uh, that like actually like flash and there's glasses that are just lenticular yeah, lenses, like lenses. And, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and they they work and differently. Yeah. They work differently, and eventually they started giving options. Or do you mm. want to see it in two D or three D? And yeah. a lot of critics would say, "Well, three D. That's what the studio is selling. That's like the big experience. Uh-huh. That's the most extreme experience." And I, uh, I typically chose two D. Same, just because I preferred it that way. Well, two uh, D. There's a couple of things. One is uh, most films when you're watching them through three D glasses, the three D glasses absorb light. So the it's movies like look darker. Shade, so it's still darker. Yeah, so um, movies are darker. That doesn't necessarily help. And also, but, uh, my theory is most people are going to see this on 2D eventually anyway. Well, that, that was my thinking is, yeah. uh, you know, even if the filmmaker comes out and says, I want this to be seen on the biggest screen possible, mm-hmm. you as critics owe it to me to see this as in the biggest screen possible to get the experience I am intending. And mm-hmm. there's integrity to that. There's a lot of integrity to that. I can't find uh, that. But it's also not if, practical always. It's not practical, and if audiences are given a variety of options, mm-hmm. we can review any one of those options, can't we? We are also audience members as well as being critics, so we can choose which version we want to see. Uh, if it's more convenient for me to watch Dune at home, I've seen I saw Dune at home. Same. My review is based on me seeing Dune at home. Yeah. Uh, did that affect my uh, my opinion of the movie? I think I I think I got the gist of it. Mm-hmm. Maybe I wasn't overwhelmed by the sound and the visuals in quite the mm-hmm. same way I would have been in, in a movie theater. Mm-hmm. 
But, you know, also if I go to see it in a movie theater, everybody's going to be in a different mood when they see it in a movie yeah. theater. If you see it at a different time of day, it's going to affect the way you see it. Mm-hmm. There's your, a million different things that the filmmaker tiny can't thing, control. Yeah, exactly. That your saw, experience seeing the movie is going to be your experience. We, remember when and, we saw Dunkirk and there was like some kind of weird like framing problem or something? Yeah, it was out of frame. Yeah. Yeah, it was like it was in a theater. It was the perfect environment. It's exactly. We even went to make sure we could see it in like seventy millimeter, mm. and they still fucked it up. <laughs> yeah, because they trained people how to use a seventy millimeter projector that morning. Yeah, they didn't know how to use one. They didn't yeah. have like a projectionist on staff at that movie theater. Yeah, they had the same problem when I saw the uh, critic screening of the Hateful Eight, mm. and they were like, "We have to come to this special theater and we'll show it in seventy millimeter and be the greatest thing ever." And then there was a problem with the presentation, and it was out of focus in the middle. It was well, oh. in focus on those edges, but not in the middle. That's uh, and that's a problem with the scope. Uh, it is. I'm, I'm a the, the lens is wrong. So yeah. uh, no, the lens was right. Well, the lens uh, was, was. You you clarify. Yeah. You clarify. You know better than that. Uh, well, th- it could have been a sign that the lens wasn't affixed all the way into the projector. That's a problem. That, I think that's um, what it was. Uh, I think that's what I heard. But when a, a scope lens, when you see a big sort of wide screen, the film isn't that shape. They yeah. use a lens to compress the image onto a 35 millimeter film strip. And then they use the the same lens that reverses that effect when they project it again. So yeah. it's stretched back out. If you, have you ever seen an image on a scope like 35 millimeter? You actually see a film strip. You'll see everyone looks really stretched out. Yeah, it's yeah. The, the image is distorted on the actual film strip, and the yeah. lens is the thing that that corrects it. And uh, because they're stretching an image using a single round lens, it's going to it's not going to be evenly in focus across. It's either going to be in focus in the center with slight focus on the outside, or it's going to be out of focus in the center and in focus on the edges. A good projectionist knows how to focus a yeah. scope lens, and yeah. clearly they didn't. Uh, yeah, it's it's either going to be soft all the way across, or you're going to find like a good balance as to where to where you want to lend. Let what the is, focus land. What is the expression that you've used before? It's like, I don't care what the filmmaker says in the end, the projectionist decides how the movie is presented. Uh, well, uh, the the, um, the projectionist has final cut on every film. That's what you said. That, <laughs> you, I knew you had a more elegant way of doing it. Yeah. yeah. It's like, uh, uh, yes, I, I worked really, really hard to get final cut. <laughs> really? Because, asshole, I have final cut on your movie. <laughs> I could just chop off some it's frames, like, motherfucker. Oh, look, these two these two reels were run out of order. What a coincidence. What a weird thing. <laughs> Like, yep. Look! Look how I cut your movie. Um, yeah. And you know, it's it's not like I'm dramatically recutting it or remixing the sound or anything in no. the booth. But I'm choosing the volume level. Yeah. I'm choosing uh, how the light it's presented. The light level. I'm choosing how it's presented. Mm-hmm. So it ultimately it's going to be up to the people who present it. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of hilarious to me mm-hmm. that filmmakers put their feet down and you know, or studios try to present it to critics in such mm-hmm. a way that. It, it's trying, trying to maintain this sort of like purity of experience when ultimately it's getting handed to teenagers who don't give a shit. Well, I remember like there is a, there's a thing that's on a lot of high definition TVs right now. And mm. there's even a few that don't even allow you to fix this. It's called motion smoothing. Oh God. Motion smoothing. Who invented this abomination? Is the devil. Yeah. Uh, to at least the cinema purists like ourselves. Uh, and basically it affects... Uh, the frame rate and it also affects the clarity of movies and the idea is that it's supposed to make everything most big everything look like you're looking through a window like ultra real but 99.9999999999% of the media that it ever has been or probably ever will be was not designed for that mm-hmm. filmmakers wanted it to look a certain way with certain lighting and certain textures and certain frame rates and so 
if you're watching something on a TV with motion smoothing, you're not watching it right at all. And I think, it was, was it Ryan Johnson who used to talk about how, like, every time he goes into a hotel room, he tries to fix the motion smoothing on the TV I, as, I've like, heard, a courtesy. I've heard to, a lot, a lot yeah. of filmmakers say that. Yeah. Um, but the other thing you brought up in this email before we move on, I want to make it, because I think this is a slightly separate issue, but it's really important, um, is you wanted subtitles on your film. Mm-hmm. You should have subtitles on the film. Yeah. That's basic accessibility. That should be available in theaters as well. And some theaters do have it available. Most don't. But that is simply not accessible for people, A, with disabilities, Mm -hmm. which is in and of itself a problem. But in a case like something like a movie where you're watching something in another dialect or another language, kind of a necessity. Mm -hmm. So the fact that that was not available stinks. Uh, Oh, here's a little insider baseball. When... When I saw the film Jungle Cruise, oh yeah, uh, yeah, Disney, um, this, yeah. This uh, this is one I saw via screener uh, mm-hmm. provided me by Disney, and they did provide subtitles for the main dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's supposed to be like the Disney Plus experience. You have yeah. access on the screener as you would on Disney Plus. Curiously, uh, there were no subtitles made available for the Spanish dialogue. Yeah. Now it's not extensive Spanish dialogue. I could put it together. Yeah, it's and, actually but, very little. And, and in fact, yeah. I thought it was an artistic choice just to yeah. have the characters speaking Spanish. But it wasn't until after I saw the film that I was supposed to have seen. I learned yeah. that I was supposed to have seen. Uh, because under those insane. circumstances, normally what would happen is those would, there would be subtitles for those characters either way. Yeah. But I guess they just hadn't. It was an incomplete cut or something like right. that. But anyway, um, so yeah, these are these are real problems. And as you become a critic and as you like do more critic things, you're going to run into the issues of the trade. A lot of this is real inside baseball shit. Mm. We've tried to sort of talk about how it affects everybody, but a lot of this is inside baseball shit. Every single job, even a cool job, sometimes it's a job. Mm. Sometimes there's crappy stuff that you just have to deal with. This is part of it. Uh, I'm very proud to say that uh, Lafka uh, just put out like a thing where um, a, a press release, uh, basically about accessibility, about accessibility, saying that we're going to be more adamant that. Uh, more screeners are available to people, to critics with disabilities from studios. This has never been fair, and it's only increasingly more obvious in the age of COVID and afterwards. Uh, so we're trying, but you know, it, it's not up to just one of us or one group. So we just need to keep talking about it and make sure that all these things are available because there's no reason for them not to be. Mm. All right, let's move on. Uh, next letter is from Luke. Hello, Luke. Hi, Luke. Um, Dear Bibbs and Whitney, I've been enjoying your content for several years now. You are my go-to critics for movie reviews and discussion. Thank uh, you. It has all been great, except for now I can't watch a movie without your voices in my head. Oh, no. Uh, I'm watching Ghostbusters Afterlife, and I can hear Whitney yawning <laughs> at some parts. And when I watch Police Story, I hear Bibbs commenting on the awesome stunts. Uh, come to find out, uh, after I... After I see a movie and then listen to your reviews, you duplicate what I predicted you would say. Wow. Uh, so this pretty much means we are brothers. <laughs> I can't say I'm annoyed because your comments have led me to view films in a more meaningful way, but I often wonder where my, what are my real opinions? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no, we brainwashed oh, you. Oh, dear. Um, I, do I think that it is a bad slash good movie because of my own thoughts or because you have carved out a space for it in my brain? Uh, For discussion, have you had this experience with critics you looked up to in the past? Mm. Do you watch a film and know that a certain someone is going to love it or hate it? Thanks for the content. Uh, Sincerely, Luke, the giant wolf man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, that That, makes That's a throwback. That's a real big throwback. Uh, We were talking about the movie Rampage, and I was talking about how I always thought it was weird that there's a King Kong, gotcha, there's a Godzilla, 
Gotcha. These all have precedent. Uh, These are all a reference <laughs> to real things. But the third monster in the video game Rampage in the movie is a giant wolfman? <laughs> when was there a giant wolfman? Who came up with this? I want to see that movie. I made a big to-do of it. Um, but um, that's... First off, thank you. I oh, well, worry we've ruined you in some way. Well, I hear... What we've done is we've we've well we've opened him up, haven't we? Mm-hmm. We've uh, sort of we he is now uh, sort of thinking about movies. Uh, the mm-hmm. uh, no, I don't want to say the way we think about movies, but uh, he, he's thinking about them uh, on perhaps a, a, mm-hmm. a little bit more deeply. Oh, I hope so. Um, uh, it sounds like it. Um, uh, as for um, yes, this has happened to me in the past. Sure, where uh, I I was uh, Roger Ebert was is a big hero of mine. Sure. And uh, back when he was still writing, I knew right away when I saw certain movies that Roger Ebert would like this kind of movie because mm-hmm. he, he had his taste. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you follow you follow. Some, this is kind of why we try to make sure we review everything mm-hmm. um, is because we want that information to be available so that people will know the full context of our tastes. Yeah. So that that, that information can be useful. If you listen to us enough, mm-hmm. not that you have to, but if you do you'll get a general sense of where we come from so that, at the very least, our opinions will make sense. Maybe not in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. You know, you might be like, oh, why do they like that? But when you listen to all of our stuff, you'll be like, oh, I get it. I see where they come from. Yeah. I get why they like that stuff. So, so you've been listening yeah. to us for a while. You get where we come from. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. But uh, uh, it can be a little distracting when you're constantly thinking about what other people might think of a movie instead of just watching it for yourself. Mm-hmm. That can be a problem. And I've had that sometimes when I've been in like relationships with people. With really strong opinions, yeah. And I'm like, I know that the person I'm on a date with right now is hating this, even though I'm loving it, yeah. And that can, I don't don't want to have that discussion after the movie. No, I'm not looking forward to this at all, or vice versa. Mm. Um, and that that can be frustrating, and it's not really fair to you, uh, to have to like compete with these inner voices to like just appreciate the film. Um, I encourage you to tune us out. (laughs) <laughs> like I do at least when you're in a theater I encourage you just just watch it for yourself and don't worry about what mm. anyone else thinks I can fall into this trap I care about other people there are people who I really care about what they think but it's I mean, and the, the, granted this is me talking about someone who, to whom this is my job it's my job to have my own opinions right here mm. that doesn't mean I'm going to disagree with anyone necessarily but it means that if I do agree or if I do disagree I want it to be genuine and not because I'm chasing someone's approval or I have so much respect for someone that I assume they're right about everything. Or even the opposite. If I find like, oh, that person likes it, it probably stinks. Maybe it's great. I don't know. You have to give everything a fair shake. So um, we're, we're really, really honored that you've listened to the show for so long that you've got that. Uh, but I hope at least after a while you're able to sort of just watch it for yourself again and mm. not not worry about what we're thinking at all. Really, least not trouble yourself with it. Um, because, um, yeah, I, I, I think that goes in waves though. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there come, there are times when like, you're like, because of what's going on in your life, even when you watch a movie, things that can tend to go through that lens. Like I remember when my father died, mm. that kind of affected the perspective I had on any movie I saw for a while Especially because I'm going through a major life event, you know? And, and a lot of movies are about fatherhood. So fatherhood yeah, or, even, lot, or even yeah. just death. Or, or end of life care mm. or just you know whatever all, all the incidents or anything reminding me of my dad that's the filter I have right then and that's natural and I shouldn't shy away from that but I should also acknowledge that 
that's not necessarily a permanent state of being. Mm-hmm. That's just where I'm at right now. Yeah, yeah. So that's going to happen too. So just hopefully it's a phase, and it will just sort of move along, and you'll have other voices yeah. in your head, and hopefully your own will be the well, loudest. Yeah, we, we, if we can guide you a little bit, great. Uh, yeah. Other people can guide you as well, and you can guide others. As it turns out, yeah, uh, that's yeah really you exciting. just have conversations with others. It's about having other perspectives, and uh, we're here to offer ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you're listening to ours is very flattering. It's super. Uh, thank, it's thank an you so honor. It's an honor. Uh, I mean it. I'm, I sometimes I'm embarrassed when I find out that like somebody I know listens to the podcast. It's like, oh, <laughs> shit, not yeah. you. <laughs> this, this is, is a, for strangers. This is, this is going out into like an ether. Or, yeah, or, no or, one's like, listening. An, an abs- <laughs> the listeners are abstract on a certain level. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's like, you know, I've been listening to your show for a while. Oh, shit. I was at the... Uh, <laughs> you hear what I said about Clifford the Big Red Dog. I was at the Schmodown Spectacular this last weekend, mm. and I ran into quite a few people who said that they listened to the show. Some mm. of whom are people who I know personally, and I was like, you actually take the time to listen to the show? <laughs> you just talk to me. Okay, mm. well, fine. But I'm super honored, and if anyone who I was having that conversation with is listening right now, hi! Hello! Thank you so much. It means a lot to Hello, us, clo- but sometimes it's a little weird. Close personal friends of mine, yeah. or co- we're, co-workers we're of mine. We're doing this in our apartment... <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, yeah. this is this is something that like we it's an act of love and we're doing it and we're trying to make it work we're trying to be successful at it but it is super weird that anyone else listens to it <laughs> sometimes <laughs> so thank you so much and thank you for writing in and that's a really really great question and um, let's move on uh, here's a letter from Tim L okay hello Tim L uh, hello Bibbs and Whitney I hope your day or very late night is going so far I assure you it's, it's a very late a, night. it's a late night tonight what, what time um, is it right now I'm not gonna say they, uh-huh. they you know what they don't need to see. That detail behind the curtain. It's after midnight, isn't it? It's after midnight. Um, I've been listening to you two for a few years now, and I really enjoy your podcasts. I think you're both insightful, and I value your opinions. That means a lot to us. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for the What's Up Doc recommendation. Oh, yeah. That was great. My question. Mm. What is schlock exactly? (laughs) I've heard you guys use that word fairly often, especially when talking about horror movies. Schlock, to me, is one of those things that I feel like I could identify if I saw it, but I couldn't really explain it if I tried. Uh, Google describes it as, quote, cheap or inferior goods or materials, uh, semicolon, trash. Uh, I was hoping you two would also be able to give some additional context. Uh, How would you describe schlock? Is it an inherently telltale sign of low quality or subpar film? How might schlock look between uh, various film genres? Thank you for the help, Tim L. That's a great um, question. I love this question. Thank you for that question. <laughs> Schlock is a Yiddish word, and yes, it means uh, like inferior goods. Yeah. Um, However, that's 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 the etymology. Well, it's not I, necessarily the way we use it. It's not necessarily the value of the good, though. It's more of the way it's produced. Um, well, I we, think, and that's well the way we use it. That is. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The way the way we use schlock is. Uh, let's see if I can I can put this succinctly. Um, it is falling back on the easiest and most obvious tropes within certain genres. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that sounds pretty broad, mm-hmm. um, but which I mean to say is, let's take like the three mainstays of shock genre. That is uh, horror, action, and um, uh, science fiction. Okay. Uh, when I describe any of those types of movies as schlock... Uh, there tends to be a lack of creativity. Mm-hmm. There tends to be a certain element of cheapness, although not necessarily because mm-hmm. sometimes it can just come from a certain um, kind of well-worn, cliched story trope. Yeah, it can be more of a mentality is, than it is that, an actual monetary that value. That comes yeah. from a, an exploitation, drive-in, grindhouse tradition. 
Yeah. Uh, so a movie can be. Let, let's look at the movie Red Notice. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's a, a movie example. everybody looked at and then forgot about, and then looked yeah. at again and then forgot about. Absurdly um, expensive motion picture. Absurdly expensive. Absurdly popular. More people have watched. Uh, popular is not the same as just because you watched it doesn't mean you liked it. Does something doesn't have to be liked to be popular? Uh, people have been cr- people have been crunching numbers on Red Notice. And all we've gotten from Netflix is like the number of minutes people have watched it. Mm-hmm. But even if you, even if people only watched it for ten minutes, if you sort of distribute that among sort of the general population of Netflix users, more people were exposed to Red Notice than were exposed to Avengers Endgame. Uh, like it's reached a greater number of people just right. by raw data. And I think that's a matter of ease of accessibility and well, sort of can, the over. You, can, well, you can put your thumb on the scale all you want. More people I'm laid my eyes thumb on, on the it. scale. I'm explaining how a scale works. <laughs> I think it's a different thing. Yeah, but just anyway. more, more, it hit more eyeballs than than uh, hit eyeballs of uh, Avengers Endgame. Okay. Uh, I'll let it go. Red Notice it is it's an absurdly expensive film. They uh, hired this all star cast uh, and. They you know shot in all these exotic locations. It's got expensive special effects. It is an A budget studio feature film. Mm-hmm. It's also schlock, yeah, because it falls back on a lot of well worn character types mm-hmm. and story beats and genre trappings mm-hmm. that ha- were introduced or at least popularized or at least easy to produce mm-hmm. in a really low budget venue. I would say that what you're talking about here is, mm. I think the word I would use is hackneyed, which is like, mm. this has been done before. This has been yep. over and over and over again. Nothing about this is unfamiliar. Maybe it's done in a slightly different way or with a slightly different lens on it. But this is all stuff that you're familiar with. This is all stuff that has been done a million times before. And it also tends to be done with a lack of ambition. Mm. Like, you can make an action movie that's about stuff. A lot of people have. Mm. You can also make an action movie that's about Nothing. At all, like Red Notice, where it's just about sexy people winking at each other and then jumping on things and then getting in a car chase mm-hmm. and then giggling. And that's kind of the whole yeah, goddamn yeah. film. <laughs> like, there's nothing, it's, it's very, um, it's usually, it's often very juvenile. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing, I wish we could come up with a more concise well, here, he- terminology because, because Google's definition or whatever, whatever dictionary Google led you to was pretty general and I firmly believe that when it comes to genre quality cannot be a definition in a genre mm. because it can be done good good or bad but it's still a horror movie that kind of thing it can be if, you, if, you're, if it doesn't matter if your jokes are funny if you're telling jokes you're a comedy that kind of thing mm. um, but schlock I think is a qualitative statement I think yeah. schlock is so schlock is not a genre schlock, schlock is a tone and it's a mm. tone that's easy to do with no money and it's easy to do with a lot of money all you have to do is not try very hard, but also hopefully have fun, and you can have totally a, have a, fun. A, schlock. A kind of a lot of uh, filmmakers uh, try for schlock and I think fail, uh, mm-hmm. where they're trying to have like a little bit of trashy fun, and it ends up being a little bit too slick for its own good. I feel this way about the films of James Gunn. Uh, mm. I feel like he, back when he was writing for Troma, he's making good schlock, yeah, because that is like trashy and confrontational. Uh, watch yeah. Tromey and Juliet. It's disgusting. Yeah. But it's fun. But it's daring. Yeah. yeah you know, it's, it's actually like, I, I wouldn't, I would hesitate to call it ambitious, but it's go for broke. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. basically like, we're um, going to throw everything out here and just see if we can get a reaction out of you. Me- yeah. Meanwhile, he made a film just this year called The Suicide Squad, uh, which was, contained a lot of schlocky elements. There's mm-hmm. giant monsters and violent death mm-hmm. and, uh, 
And like there are yeah. rats that are killing a giant star creature, yeah, and that's I'm, like okay, that's schlock. But, but once you what? add the once you add the context of yes, but the rats represent the underdogs and all of us mm. who are truly the heroes here. And I'm like, you you're, stop being schlock. You're, you're taking away from yeah. the trash of this. Yeah. It's about, I'll, I'll say this: when when we go to movies, you know, you and I are critics. We like to find the art in film, and uh, we explore uh, the medium as it, as it is a moving, living, breathing artistic form. There's also something incredibly basic about films when we go to see them. We want to see sex and violence. Often. We want to see explosions. Yeah. Uh, I've we heard, want to see car chases. Yeah, I've, I've heard some people say, and I typically get pretty frustrated. It's like, oh, I, I, I liked the new Godzilla film okay because Godzilla was in it, and that's my only standard. It's like, well, yeah. I'm, I'm, should we have higher standards? Yeah. But at the same time, we're here just to be entertained uh, and have sort of our basest impulses catered to Mm -hmm. that's what exploitation means and i feel like there is a certain deal of fun that can be had when your basest instincts are being catered to maybe schlock would just be it would just be easier to say exploitation cinema Mm. i feel like there's that people have got a bit more of a lock on that there's a lot of is is a little bit more uh descriptive of um, a certain uh budget class or even genre of film but i think we're also saying that about schlock as well Mm. i mean you said yourself that when we think of schlock we typically think of genres like horror Mm. but there's also schlock in every single genre, and I would say that's like even something like because we're talking about what are the base things that we come to see in a movie, you know, of sex and violence. But let's let's switch it around. Let's go to a different genre. Mm. We've also seen schlocky romantic comedies. Mm. People go to romantic comedy for very base reasons as well. We want comfort. Yeah. We want to, love and romance has always been fucking complicated. Doesn't <laughs> matter what generation you live in. There's always some bullshit getting in the way, whether it's human nature or circumstance or social mores, whatever it fucking is. It's always more complicated than it needs to be. A romantic comedy is where you watch a movie and two hot people eventually are going to get together. Mm-hmm. There'll be some problems at the beginning. They'll be fine in the middle. There'll be some problems towards the end. And at the end, it usually turns out more or less fine. We're reminded of the Patton Oswalt bit. Yeah. Uh, every romantic comedy should be called trying to fuck. And that's kind of what it is. <laughs> that's, that's basically yeah. the deal. But like when, we're, yeah. when we go to a romantic comedy, we want these baseline... Mm. Uh, we we want these these particular endorphins, please. It's not the car chase endorphins. Uh, yeah. It's the happy ending endorphins. Then you can be schlocky about that too. And there's so many romantic comedies that are just ripping off. It happened one night over and over I, again, or I feel whatever. Like, um, and like you can have a schlocky rom com without can, any although, of that sex or violence. I suppose so. I I think in in my mind, and like this, what is, that's what Hallmark movies are. They're schlocky rom coms. Yeah, uh, schlock typically has sort of a dismissive quality to it. Mm. It's it's meant as uh, used as a criticism, although sometimes we use it very positively. I, uh, I use it very neutrally. I think mm. it's an attitude, and I think it can mm. be done well or badly. Mm. Uh, the word typically ha- has weight on it. It does, but I also think that as critics, we have the power sometimes to, to re- reweigh a word. Yeah, yeah because like, I, I, was, I was referring to a, uh, a TV show I was reviewing as soap operatic mm. because there's a lot of relationship melodrama and which, serialization, which sounds merely descriptive. For me, it's really merely mm. descriptive. But I was talking to another critic who was reviewing it with me on like this show, and they were like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Let's not say things we can't take back because to them, that's a derogatory statement. Soap it was opera. soap opera, or rather the date." on television shows like As the World Turns General mm-hmm. Hospital One Life to Live whatever um, no One Life to Live is something different but like uh, whatever Passions uh, <laughs> these shows were often derided by the mainstream mm-hmm. I grew up watching these shows I know they can be good and they can be bad but I also know they're just another form of storytelling what makes a soap opera is not whether or not it's bad 
What makes a soap opera is whether or not it's an ensemble melodrama told in a serialized fashion. That's a soap opera. Yeah. It's not derogatory. It just is what it is. Schlock is just a general attitude of we're going for the low hanging fruit of whatever genre we're doing right now. And we don't need to spend any money on it. We can just have a good attitude about this and give people what they want and not try to blow their minds or make them think about anything. And you can do that with any different genre. And you can do that really, really well. And and you can do that really, really badly. And there's most certainly uh, a a lot of respect and integrity to making, uh, just devoting yourself to something schlocky. Yeah. And uh, as as somebody who has seen a lot of bad exploitation movies and enjoys them quite a bit, mm-hmm. uh, I actually have a good uh, a good deal of affection for schlock. Um, I don't personally use it in terms of uh, romances. Uh, if I'm going to refer to schlock, like I'll, I would call Temptation Confessions of a Marriage Counselor schlock. True. Because that's... I use schlock typically to describe sex and violence. Mm-hmm. When I talk about uh, like a family film or a romance that's uh i refer to like treacly or sentimentality which is uh in, in my mind then mm-hmm. this is just the way i wield the word mm-hmm. uh, different from schlock yeah, fair enough and i think but, uh, maybe and i think maybe what we're dealing with here is the idea that the way we use schlock and maybe not everyone uses it this way i'm sure not everyone does maybe we do need to come up with a better like a proper definition for this because i feel like um I think we've been rambling, and I hopefully people will understand where we're coming from here, but this is not a dictionary definition. No. Well, yeah. we, we could give you the dictionary definition. Yeah. You can look it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the dictionary definition we're, we're isn't necessarily to, way, always up to date, the way because we the way use, we use words evolve. The way we use it yeah. as critics, uh, as they pertain to film, then, mm-hmm. yeah, we're going to have to sort actually, of have did, a little bit more finaries and nuances. Did, did I mention that I'm in the dictionary? Are you in the dictionary? I'm on Wikipedia. I, uh, I'm on Wikipedia, too. Oh, I don't have a page on Wikipedia, but I have a, uh, I'm quoted on sometimes on some movies. But no, I was uh, I was having an argument on Twitter with somebody, and they were like, we were talking about what the definition of hero was, and I was like, well, I can look up the definition of hero and tell you about that. So I looked it up, and I think it's on Merriam-Webster or one of those. And uh, one of the examples, like they give an example of like, here's a bit of writing, was something I wrote. Oh, wow. And they were using like an article I had written about... Um, female action heroes in mm. movies as well, evidence that the word hero is, is now gender neutral. neutral. Yeah. It used to can be considered not gender neutral. A hero and heroine were separate. Mm. But in, in order Pop- to provide evidence, usage, yeah. in order to provide evidence that there is, this is in popular usage and there are, it is a perfectly acceptable, it's perfectly acceptable to use the word hero in, as a gender neutral term. Mm. They use my writing. Yeah. And that was really cool. <laughs> that was me. I had no idea. What are the odds that it would just happen to run into that? Yeah, uh, Super weird. <laughs> uh, it It is uh, kind of unfortunate that the masculine is also the gender neutral. Yeah. Whereas the feminine. I, I, well, sometimes the masculine is. I, I don't know if this is the case, but sometimes what we consider the masculine isn't even that masculine. Actor, I don't think, is a masculine term. I think we just added the feminine pre- uh, suffix to that, didn't we? The actor, actress. I think uh, I'd have to look up the etymology. I'm going to look up the etymology of actor because I'm pretty sure that. Uh, but I, I know uh, nobody uses the term directrix. Yeah. Uh, to describe somebody who directs a film, um, yeah. director is is uh, it's a, the masculine form, but we use that as a pretty general. I'm just gonna look term. up the suffix tor, t o r as a t o r. I think that's mm. the, I think it's Greek, um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm mm. not a language is an interest of mine, but I'm no expert. Uh, yeah, there's nothing ma- there's nothing masculine about it. It's just a suffix found in, in loan words from Latin. Uh, forming Latin, a personal okay. agent, like someone who does this. Okay. An actor is someone who acts. A director mm-hmm. is someone who directs. Mm-hmm. But it's not inherently gendered. Yeah. So, But so, for so long, it was considered a masculine occupation that in order to differentiate between a 
proper hero and they you know but they decided to add or a hero might be different but like actor mm. you're differentiating from a male actor we needed an actress mm. uh and the problem this might even stem I, i'm i'm wildly Again, speculating we, here we, we but there a, used to be women who used to not be allowed to act in like oh, well, in, 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 in plays in england you know that in, kind of in england at a certain time oh, we're talking about the english language so yeah that's true. anyway all right, we're, we're, we're way off base here. We're going off into pure speculation territory. We're not talking about stuff we know offhand. We're just trying to define schlock. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we've done that a little bit. Hopefully we've cleared it up. At least how we refer to it, even though maybe we shouldn't be adding this to the dictionary yet. Uh, <laughs> let's move on. All right. Uh, here is a letter from Name Redacted. Uh, if, if you don't send off your letter, you, you have no name. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, this is uh, yeah, Name Redacted. Uh, hi, Bibbs and Whitney. Uh, Australian fan, writing in. Hi. Uh, I was listening to your most recent Iron List and was thrilled to hear Whitney put the Aussie classic Walkabout on his top ten films of 1971. And you, you haven't seen Walkabout yet. No, I mean, Walkabout's okay. one I missed, yeah. yeah. It's, it's very, very good. Please watch yeah, Walkabout. We both put, we, um, we both put Wake and Fright in there as well. Like, yeah, 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 so we had two Aussie films. Two so, Australian yeah. movies. Uh, I wasn't sure when you guys taped the episode, but it came upon my ears only a couple of days after the tragic passing of Dave, David Atalatingu. Uh also known throughout his life as David Gupilil, yeah, who played, uh, who was the, the main character in Walkabout, one of the three main characters. Uh, his family requested for him to be referred to as Dalatingu uh, in accordance with his native custom. David lost his battle with lung cancer on the 29th of November at the age of 68. Yeah, yeah. yeah I uh, think we, we recorded around that time. I don't I, think we knew yet. I, yeah, I, I, I think he had passed, but we, yeah, we just didn't get the news yet. Yeah. Uh, uh, David was a titan of Australian cinema. With iconic roles throughout the decades, including Storm Boy, Rabbit Proof Fence, The Tracker, Ten Canoes, Charlie's Country, and of course Walkabout. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to thank you for including Walkabout. I'm not sure if it was a coincidence or not, but it was assuring to see David's legacy felt beyond his native land, uh, of which he has left an indelible mark. Uh, Signed, name redacted. Thank you so much. And he's an Mm. actor who um, I think we wanted to eulogize, but didn't necessarily feel uh, qualified to, because Mm. his, his career is often in things that we... We're less familiar um, with. Um, I'd seen also, him in Crocodile Dundee as a kid, but you know he didn't have a very big role in that movie. You know? Yeah, he's yeah, it's a little, exactly. he's good in it, but like he only has like two scenes. So yeah, he's you know. funny in those two scenes. He's great in those it's two actually, scenes. It's been a while since I've seen it, but it's quite a funny film. It's a good film. It's a, you know, the fish out of water stuff. Some of there's there's at least one scene in it that is pretty aggressively homophobic by any standard. Yeah, uh, uh, but uh, other than that, it's pretty good. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's a big if. That's a big yeah. asterisk, I think. I, I like the scene where he throws the knife in the guy's mohawk. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like the scene. This is weird scene at the end where it's like he it it it's the stakes are so artificially raised at the end of that movie because he's just gonna go on a subway and leave. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to tell him, like, no, I, I don't love this other guy, I love you. And he's like, Great, cool, but it's really crowded on this subway. Mm-hmm. And instead of just waiting for everyone to leave, he decides to like jump up and grab like a beam and like walk on everyone's head to talk to see her oh it's dramatic it's super dramatic uh, but there's no reason it's not like he'll never see her again unless he does uh, that it's just it's it's fun because it's fun not because anything demands it It, that's one of the reasons why that movie was nominated for best original screenplay Mm. is because they found the big moments yeah to tell the the story you know that that scene and of course we're going to talk about crocodile dundee yeah um but uh he uh, he was used to living out in in the outback. Yeah, and he was by himself a lot, and he ended up moving to New York, which is full of people. It's really crowded, mm. and that showed how uh, the community of New York was actually able to bring people together in a way that he didn't experience before. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in, during that scene, like um, 
Linda Kozlowski uh, is shouting out messages to Crocodile Dundee, uh, played by Paul Hogan, mm. and uh, she has to sort of relay it. There's like this game of telephone across a crowd, and there's like a couple New Yorkers who are shouting out, like, I love you, to over to uh, Crocodile Dundee. So, of course, he, he finally hears that, and he says, okay, I'm going to come back so we can actually like talk face-to-face. So it it was also organic to the scene. It wasn't as artificial as you're making it out. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, it's a good. It's a pretty good movie with like one flaw. But anyway, yes. Thank you so much for writing in, and thank you so much for uh, giving us an opportunity to talk about uh, David Coppola. And um, yeah, a great actor and deserve their due. And I'm glad someone was able to on our show. On our yeah. show. Uh, next letter. Yeah, here's a letter from Cody. Hi, Cody. Hi, Cody. Uh, hello, William and Whitney. I hope both of you are doing great. As I type this email, Major League Baseball is in lockout for the first time since 1994. I don't know what that means. It means you're, nobody's playing. Oh. So to help fill uh, to help fill in the baseball void in my life, what do you think are some of the best and some of the worst baseball movies? Ah. Both suggestions are welcome. Thank you for all that you do, and have a happy holiday season. Sincerely, Cody. Um, yeah, um, I'm baseball on, movies. Uh, I'm on record. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Not a huge fan of sports in real life, but I love sports movies. Sports movies are great. The drama is baked into the game, isn't it? Yeah, so like everything has to come to a big head through competition, and that's inherently dramatic. Um, there are really, really great baseball movies out there. I recently saw for the very first time the original Angels in the Outfield. Oh, okay. From 1951. And I thought it was charming as hell. <laughs> and it's about... Because the, the, the remake is what most people know about. It's about a kid who wants to see his dad. And the dad says, Yeah, I'll come be your dad again when the angels win the pennant. So, like, he makes a, a Christmas wish or something. And the angels decide to, like, help him win the pennant or whatever. The original, it's all about how the coach of the Pittsburgh Pirates mm-hmm. is just a real piece of shit. Like, he's not, <laughs> he's not evil. He's just an asshole. And... So, uh, basically, a little kid uh, who just loves baseball, like, prays for, like, him to get better and for the team to get better. And mm. he finds out the kid made this wish, and that's why, you know, his team is... Whatever. It's charming. It's super cute. I like that one a lot. Uh, for me, the the gold standard in baseball movies is A League of Their Own. Okay. Uh, League of Their Own is... It's my understanding the history is pretty good. Not entirely accurate, but pretty good. Wonderful cast of characters. Every single person in the ensemble, whether they have a big role or a small role, gets a really, really good character bit, and they have a lot to play. It's very witty. Uh, it boils down to you know some really good baseball gameplay, and the climax isn't so much about who will win as about uh, the relationship between two competing players. And I care more about that than who wins, and I think that's really, really good. That they haven't like artificially inflated it to just be about who's gonna win the sugar bowl or whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> like I just that that movie is just that's one of my favorite films, just period, League uh-huh. of Their Own. Um so that's definitely up there. I'm okay. trying to think. Uh, what 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 are some of yours? Um I'm not sure I have many. Um okay. baseball is a very strange sport. Mm. Um one of the only funny scenes in an otherwise utterly repellent movie um the ridiculous six uh, involves <laughs> yeah. the main character running into abner doubleday the inventor of baseball and the joke of the scene abner doubleday is played by john turturro and uh the joke in that scene is uh he's uh, i forgot the actual context but he's he's making up a game just to sort of occupy uh i think there's some like workers and 
he is clearly like the, the joke is that he's just making it up as he goes. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, so I, I hit the ball. Now what happens? Um, run to that tree. Okay. What happens to that? Okay. Now run over to that tree. Okay. And th- so now I'm at this tree. What happens? You know what? Hit that tree and then go back to where you started. And that's a point. <laughs> like, <laughs> like he's clearly just making this yeah, up. Uh, Cause and, the rules in ba- baseball are kind of weird. If you think about it. Mm, yeah. It, it's one of like the least logical games. And, and as such, it doesn't have the same sort of crest and drama. I feel mm. as a lot of other um, a lot of other sports uh, that get sports. I, I, made I feel like them. baseball almost feels like uh, almost plays a bit like a board game, where mm. it's like okay, you go around to this part of the board, and the, oh, is someone there? Well, they get pushed over there. And, yeah. <laughs> but there's a way for your opponent to like knock them out in the middle mm. if they like land on like the. Yeah, I touch it with the ball spot yeah. or whatever like that. You my, know? Uh, my dad took me to a couple baseball games when I was a kid. He also took me to basketball games. Basketball is an exciting sport because there's always movement. Constantly People are, moving. People are running yeah. and passing the ball, and they're sort of in this confined space, and it's actually really exciting. I, baseball, you're just sort of waiting for somebody to hit a ball that you can't really see. <laughs> <laughs> At least not with the seats we had. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was it was a little less exciting. So when it comes to baseball movies, I feel that they play to me uh, as a, more artificial than even most sports movies, which are plenty artificial to begin with. Yeah. Uh, so there are a lot of uh, baseball classics I haven't seen. I haven't seen Eight Men Out. I haven't seen either of the, oh, the, the Angels in the Outfield. Uh, Eight Men re- Out is great. Eight Men Out isn't recently... really. Eight Men Out is about baseball, but it's not about the competition. Okay. Because it's it's about uh, uh, you know a group of real life uh, baseball players. Who conspired to? I can't remember the details. Shave points or whatever like that. But basically, they besmirched the game, right. and it was all about the fallout from that, and them trying to defend themselves in front of like right. you know council or whatever. No, uh, that only, movie's great. Amen out is the shit. I only recently. Out's amazing yeah. Movie, yeah. I only recently saw uh, Field of Dreams for the first time. Really, and, only for the and, first time. And then that that that's a big ball of corn in it. Uh, yeah, it's a good ball of corn though. Like it's it's. <laughs> It's it's, it's the handle with such sincerity that film. I love that film. Uh, I, I, uh, I saw the natural as a kid. I only remember the the lightning bolt scene. I don't remember any of the baseball. I'm, at not, all. I'm not a huge fan um, of the natural. I haven't seen it in a long time yeah, though. Uh, um, I have, I, a lot of people consider the Sandlot to be a modern classic. I haven't seen the Sandlot. I grew up with the Sandlot, mm. and revisiting it more recently, I realized that boy, is there a lot of toxic masculinity in that fucking thing? Yeah, which, um, there's which, some good which stuff I too. But part of the joke, but it's, uh, it's part of the joke, but it's also some of it's not. And I, I'm not a huge fan of. Uh, some of its attitudes, mm-hmm. even though I think a lot of it holds up good. Um, the original 1976, The Bad News Bears, oh, I've seen is that one, really yeah. good. Like, it's a really mm-hmm. sharply done, uh, great character work throughout. Yeah, a, lot, uh, a lot of crass racist language in that. Also but, uh, yeah. true, also true, but the, but there's a lot of good stuff in there too. Um, a lot of people love the movie Moneyball. I'm amazed that that movie has the legs that it has. It's, I find it really emotionally distant. The it, entire it's, film. I realize it's, it's about sort of de-romanticizing point, yeah, the game. The, the but point is about yeah, sucking the romance out of baseball. I don't need... And you can do that, but do you have to suck the romance out of the movie? <laughs> I don't think you needed to do that. I think that's a mistake. Uh, there's a really good... Um, there's a really good made-for-TV movie on HBO uh, called Long Gone, starring William Peterson, Virginia Madison... Sorry. Virginia, Virginia Madsen and Dermot Mulroney. That's about like a minor league team... And a bunch of like old washed up guys who are doing it because they don't know what else to do. Yeah. <laughs> like they're they're never going to go to the big leagues, but no one hardly anyone goes to see their games. But yeah, that's the only thing they know how to do, and they got to do something. And there's something <laughs> kind of kind of noble about that, I yeah. think. Um, so I like that one a lot. Nobody talks about it, but it's quite good. Um, um, let's see, bad, bad baseball movies. I've seen a couple of those. Oh, uh, Cl- 
the uh, the trouble with the curve with uh, Clint Eastwood is is just, uh, just yeah, un, uh, it's just like Ugh. it's like drinking it, just, uh, just maple syrup straight out of the yeah. bottle. Um, I didn't see the movie Ed. But it's, <laughs> I always wanted to. It's, it's about a baseball playing chimpanzee um, who teams up with Matt LeBlanc. Maybe it's good. Uh, I, I don't want to don't want to dismiss it out of hand. Yeah. Um, uh, I saw 42. I thought 42. That's the Jackie Robinson that's film. That's pretty good. I thought that one was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, the one I watched multiple times as a kid was Major League. Yeah. And I liked that because the characters were funny, not because it was baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Major League. And I even have a soft spot for Major League 2. I think it's some funny stuff in Major yeah. League 2. Um, oh, I just had another good one. Uh, and then... And then and there are others as well, I guess. Didn't Tommy Lee Jones play Ty Cobb in a movie? He did. It's a movie called Cobb. I feel like I saw that when it came out, but I don't remember it very well. Jeez, right. um, what else? I've heard The Babe was quite bad. The Babe is uh, not great. Um, mm-hmm. No, that's that's not a particularly good one. Um, there's a there's a decent, uh, not amazing, but there is a decent uh, Little League movie called The Perfect Game, mm-hmm. uh, starring uh, Clifton Collins. Uh, Clifton Collins Jr., sorry. Uh, as a former baseball pitcher who decides to coach uh, a Mexican Little League team, and it all culminates with that team pitching a perfect game, Mm. which is rare in any context, let alone Little League. Strike out every batter. Yeah, Uh, and um, it it really suffers from some budgetary woes every now and then. Like, there's, like, some not good green screen in it. But Clifton Collins really grounds that thing, and he makes it work. I, I kind of find that movie rather good, and I wish more people had seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, did, did you see the the Sam Raimi baseball movie? Oh, for love of the game. Love of the game. It's good. It's not great. Right. Um, uh, you know, a lot of some of the bigger ones are ones that I I haven't revisited Bull Durham since the eighties, so okay. maybe it is amazing, but I haven't seen it in a long time, so that one I can't really speak to. I haven't seen Bull Durham either. There uh, you go. Um, I'm trying to think here. Um, yeah, so I'm 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 such I never a saw the remake of Bad to, News Bears to, to baseball movies. Yeah, I did see the, the bench remake. Is not, oh, oh, Hardball is awful. <laughs> the, the, the one Keanu Reeves. Reeves. Oh my god, that is the the melodrama on that movie is like caked on like butter. Well, like we did, we did so... a commentary track for the replacements, which is the Keanu Reeves football movie. Yeah, but that one's fun. Hardball is like trying to be like really hard hitting and make you cry, and oh, I think it really oversells. Oh, the one I'm thinking of that's actually like it's good until it's bad uh, is uh, the Scout, starring Albert Brooks and Brendan Fraser. Okay. Uh, Brendan Fraser plays a talent scout who uh, finds a pitching wunderkind played by a relatively young Brendan Fraser, mm. uh, and uh, he's he's living in the middle of nowhere, and so he brings him to America to uh, to play, and uh, he's very very excited. The guy pitches like the fastest fastball in history, but Albert Brooks increasingly becomes aware that he has extreme mental health problems, and he oh, has to uh, he, he gets him into therapy with Diane Weist. And Diane Weiss is saying, for this person's mental health, he should not play baseball. So it's the Bobby Fischer story. Or it's a, the it, searching for Bobby Fischer It's got some story. searching for Bobby Fischer elements to it. It's not Bobby Fischer isn't quite about that. But um, but the problem is that they tacked on this like really hokey, stupid Hollywood ending. That's oh, like oh has God. nothing to do with the movie that came before it. It's actually a pretty good movie about mental health and the way that like people are willing to overlook mental health issues if it benefits them. And then it just has a hokey Hollywood ending that has nothing to do with anything that came before it mm. and it's a real pain in the ass because before that I quite liked it a lot yeah, yeah. Uh, Albert Brooks was notoriously unhappy with that too oh, okay. so um, yeah but until then it's good so like it's, skip the last act <laughs> it's a pretty good film <laughs> 
I, I did see a movie about a, a talent scout called Million Dollar Arm. Oh yeah, uh, with where, uh, John Hamm. Yeah. Well, well, John Hamm, but really Fred McMurray. Uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a Disney it's, film. It's, it's a, it, it is a Disney film, and it feels like a Disney film from the '60s. Like it has yeah. that kind of square thinking. Yeah. Uh, John Hamm plays John, a John baseball Hamm talent looks scout. Looks a little bit like Fred McMurray. He plays a baseball talent scout who goes to India to try to find like fresh. Cricket, talent from cr- cricket players. cricketers who, yeah, who yeah. are good to turn them into baseball pitchers. And so he brings into America and there's some fish out of water stuff. And it's so, cute. And, and so, yeah, it's... the players, the players like have to live with him in his house and yeah. he's all business. And I think yeah. he's, he's uh, a single man. Uh, he's, uh, his tenant is played by, um, Lake Bell. Lake Bell. Yeah. And, uh, so they, they sort of try to make the, the players try to get the romance started yeah. between he and Lake Bell. Yeah. It's, it's full of cliches. And that's, that's one where like you could call that schlock. See, this, 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 this is, uh, maybe this is why I think baseball films are corny. The ones I've seen are really corny. Well, that is a really corny film. But I will say this. I have a lot of affection for Million Dollar Arm for one particular reason. When I saw that movie, I was this close to quitting being a film critic. Oh, yeah. I was just because there was so much like behind the scenes like bullshit and the way publishing oh, works and, yeah. and well, it just and, wasn't fun anymore it, and it, it's we actually were lamenting the passing of the, the late great James Rocky recently yeah. and how he, he left the business because he was kind of disgusted with yeah. how closely tied film journalism is to just mere advertising now yeah and then I and I watched Million Dollar Arm this is incredibly hokey ultra ultra Disneyfied made by Disney mm-hmm. A uh, movie about why baseball is nifty, um, and at the end of the movie, the, you know John Hamm remembers that you know if you're going to do something, you should do it for a reason, mm-hmm. and he remembers that he does what he does not to make money, not whatever, but because he likes baseball. Mm. That's the reason to do it. And at the end of the movie, I was thinking to myself, I do this because I like mo- all this bureaucratic bullshit, all this red tape, all of this office work, whatever that's getting me down. That's just the bullshit I don't like. Hmm. The actual thing I like is still here, and if I'm going to keep doing this, I just need to remember that, and that's why oh. I'm still here today. Million Dollar Arm is the reason why I'm still a film critic right now. <laughs> okay. So I, I can't hate that movie much, and it's also something I try to remember sometimes. When someone tells me they love a movie that I think very little of, hmm. it's because it, it might be just the movie they needed that day. Yeah, you know, if you want to retell a story that's been told a million times, but it's got an inspirational message, as long as it's told reasonably well, I'm fine with you, because you might be exactly what someone needed that day. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. So I can't be mad at Million Dollar Arm, even though it's pretty cheesy. So anyway, um, uh, what, what are we at on time? I can't hear uh, the recording. Well, we've we're, we've been going for about an hour here. Okay, well I think it's uh, do we have one more? Or do you want to uh, like wrap it up? Uh, let's do. Let's let's see if I can find a, a brief one. Okay, super um, super quick. Yeah. Yes uh, or no questions. Okay, that, that's <laughs> see that's a long letter. I, I I don't usually object to long letters. Here we yeah. go. This one actually starts with quick question. So okay. There we go. Hey, Whitney and Bibbs. Quick question. What is mumblecore? <laughs> I'm, or mumble gore for that matter. I'm sure okay. I can just Google it, but prefer to ask you guys because I like the way you explain things. <laughs> Thanks, film professors. Sent from my iPhone. Well sent from my iPhone. <laughs> uh, Mumblecore is a certain uh, flavor of independent cinema that f- kind of rose to prominence in the early 2000s mm-hmm. uh, that dealt with a lot of typically uh, young people mm-hmm. uh, talking a lot. Yeah. And a lot of the... Uh, it was incredibly low budget. Yep. Uh, a lot of the lighting was bad. I think that's... Mm. Like a lot of it was shot on digital yeah, cameras, a, yeah. Sort of like cheaper digital cameras. 
uh, in some cases consumer-grade digital cameras, uh, and a lot of the dialogue was improvised. Yeah. S- scenes were written, but a lot of the dialogue was encouraged to be uh, padded out yeah. by the actors. And um, so scenes would sort of find their way through. And the topics of a lot of these movies tended to be uh, relationships and family and the sorts of things that are uh, cliched trappings yeah. of independent cinema. Or, or sort of coming of age, regardless of what year yeah. you're in. Like you're in your 20s right. or your 30s. Um, and, then and you'll get a lot of films from like uh, Joe Swanberg is a yeah, good example. I, I was going to say, and, and at some point, uh, a Duplass is going to be involved somehow. <laughs> Um, I look at the Mumblecore movement uh, as, in many respects, maybe not as artistically significant, but in many respects, it's kind of the 21st century American version of Italian neorealism, where Mm -hmm. here's a bunch of young filmmakers who are not interested in making genre entertainments. They're trying to tell stories that seem realistic to them, plausible, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, using cinematic techniques that are all about um, sort of uh, just intimate human drama, mm-hmm. not calling attention to themselves, not flashy, in um, an effort to tell stories that are not being told by major studios. Yeah. And I would argue that there are much better films in the Italian neorealist movement than we got in the well, Mumblecore movement. I, I, I but there are, but I still think that the, the attitude is there, where we're trying to like uh, do our own thing yeah. and it has nothing to do with... I suppose the shine it, that we're expected to have. You're comparing it to Italian neorealism. Um, I would, I would say it's a much more direct descendant of the independent cinema of like Cassavetes in the '70s, okay. where uh, those sorts of films were about sort of intimate drama issues, and they were filmed mm-hmm. in this very kind of naturalistic style with this very kind of naturalistic acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cassavetes told stories mostly about like marriages. Uh, if you haven't seen it, watch. Um, a Woman Under the Influence, that's my favorite of his, mm-hmm. uh, but they're all pretty damn good. Uh, and I feel like when um, Joe Swanberg, the Duplass, um, there's Lynn Shelton, Bujalski. Uh-huh. Bujalski was the name I couldn't come up. Uh, Bujalski is one of the sort of like the forerunners. Andrew Bujalski uh, yeah. did a lot of the Mumblecore movies. Uh, I feel like they are taking a lot of their cues from Amer- American independent traditions of a, a little bit more recently than Italian neorealism. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, their films are very talky. Uh, they tend to be about aimlessness a lot, uh, about sort of people who are trying to find their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, when people say mumblecore, they're not just referring to the style. Um, and it's really curious that, you know, mumble gore has become a thing. Yeah. Because this is the same sort of style, but in a horror tradition. Yeah. Can we do a horror story st- yeah. using these incredibly lo-fi cinematic techniques and these very character-driven uh, narratives? Some have argued that your next is mumble gore. It's not. I don't think so. No, I think it's, no, it's no. way too polished for that. It just um, happens to have some people who are famous in the Mumblecore movement involved. The House of the Devil, I think, is maybe a little too slick, but it's definitely taking a lot of its uh, cues from uh, Mumblecore. Yeah. Um, I think if there's actually any actually really good... Oh, wait, uh, I got a list here of alleged Mumblecore movies. You can look Uh, it up on, on like, like Wikipedia. Oh, here's a good one. I think this is actually... I would argue that this is uh, Mumblecore. Uh, Ty West's The Innkeepers. Who he also did uh, has the devil. Yeah, um, but I would argue the Innkeepers is more mumblecore than anything yeah, because it's a lot about more conversation. Yeah. The Innkeepers yeah. is a pretty good movie, actually. It's I like about, the Innkeepers a lot. It's about two people who work at a historic uh, inn or hotel uh, that is allegedly quite haunted, and 
they just shoot the shit about whether or not this place is haunted and then it might be haunted. Um, it's pretty good. Mm. It's pretty solid. Um, let's see the VHS movies. People have argued that those are mumble gore. That's um, more of a found footage thing. Um, I agree. Kill list is an interesting uh, attempt to uh, make yeah, that play. Kill list might work. Kill list. I, bit, I think it is because yeah. it, a lot of that film is focusing. It's about these uh, two assassins. Uh, but a lo- most of the movie is them when they're not on a job. They're just sort of yeah. hanging around a lot. And, and then it turns out that troubles. And it turns out their series of jobs may all be connected to some kind of weird like, evil thing. So it's like, yeah, it's yeah. Like called, I, I don't want to ruin it for you. I think I, ultimately it boils down to very little. But I, uh, I hope we like that movie a lot. I, I, I don't. I don't like Kill List. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like um, I see what they're getting at. I don't think it works. Yeah, like a good idea, but I think it was just poorly yeah. executed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mumble Gore, I think, uh, is is a little bit more debatable but just because horror is such a fluid genre mm-hmm. and it's also it's often it can be a bit of an artificial genre as well just yeah. by its nature oh you know what you yeah. know what is a, a, a mumble gore film is uh, Frozen not the Disney oh, film oh yeah yeah the, uh, uh, was... the Adam Green is it Adam Green who did that I, I'd have to look it up I'll look um, it up hang on. yeah there was a movie called Frozen about Adam Green yeah. Adam Green about a couple that was stuck on a ski lift like and overnight over, well they They're like trapped they went on a ski lift it stopped and uh it was getting colder and the night night was falling and uh, it became, it was one of those like single location, you know, yeah. claustrophobic location horror movies. And yeah, it was, how do they get off a ski lift? Mm. And I like movies like that because that gets your mind thinking what I do in that situation. Oh, you know, it's another one that I would argue, I don't think it's usually considered mumble gore, but I would, I would give it the imprimatur. Mm. Open water. It was a similar thing. Yeah, yeah open, open water. water is a very similar premise mm. where it's about two people who go scuba diving and then uh, the people who are in charge of like the scuba diving vacation, they miscount the number of the people on the boat. So then they just sail off and when these two people finally come up for air, there's no boat. Yeah, they're and they're just adrift in the ocean and no one finds out for days and by that point it's too late for them. Mm. And it's just them in the water Basically, their marriage is dissolving in front of our eyes and mm. also they're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's pretty. It's a very depressing film. <laughs> So that that's Mumblecore. Yeah. Uh, it's um, it has its fans. It has its defenders. It has its detractors. Uh, Do you have a favorite Mumblecore film? I'm very fond of Beeswax. I haven't seen that it's one. About a, a young woman who's a photographer and her relationship with her sister. Uh, okay. One of the uh, very few positive examples of uh, a disabled protagonist. Mm. Uh, the protagonist is in a wheelchair, and uh, it's presented in a very sort of frank natural fashion i really like that one okay uh, but i think that's bujalski beeswax uh, let me, let me that's fine i think my favorite is probably a, a film called drinking buddies it's a joe swanberg film stars olivia wilde jake yeah. johnson beeswax is yeah. bujalski uh, and it's just about two people who uh they work at like a, a brewery together mm-hmm. and they're clearly into each other but they've never been single at the same time so they've never done anything. They've never like capitalized on all this like sort of sexual tension they've always had. <laughs> and there's a brief window, a very brief window, mm. where they might be single at the same time. And it's just them, just them debating whether or not to do something about it. And have it's ever, very relatable. Have yeah. you ever had a friendship like that? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I, I think have. we all have. It's like, oh, yeah. we're, we're attracted to each other, but... The I mean, timing we, was we never are, right. We are yeah. dating other people right now, so yeah. we can just sort of say that and then move on. Yeah, that, that it's a, it's a, if you've ever been in a situation like that, I think at least some of Drinking Buddies will resonate with you. It's a mm-hmm. good film. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, that's it for We've Got Mail this week. Thank you, everybody, for writing in. Great questions this week. Uh, if you want to write in through a future episode, you can totally do so. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net 
Uh, we also have a P.O. Box. Those who like to send physical letters or anything else mm-hmm. in the mail. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Uh, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yay! Write us a letter. We'd on, love on, to hear from on, you. On paper. Yeah, it's fun. Um, <laughs> or, but, or on a deer skin. I don't care. No, don't, don't, poor deer. Don't do that. Um, Found deer skin. Don't actually okay, kill just the deer. find it in like an alleyway or something. And just, <laughs> deer was, yeah. deer was in, just, it died in the alleyway. In natural causes. Um, but uh, it got dark real quick. Um, but we're also on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. We're at Whitney Seibel. We have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, we do hangouts every month. If you want to talk to us in person, that's the best way to do it. Uh, we also have a lot of exclusive shows, including shows about Star Trek, Batman, the Academy Awards. That's running a little late. We've got to get on that this week. Yeah, indeed. Uh, but a lot of stuff there as well. Um, so uh, thank you to every single one of our patrons, without whom this show and all of our other shows would not be possible. It means a lot to us. Yes. Uh, and I'm forgetting anything. Oh, and uh, you have a show as well called uh, oh, All About Office. That's right. I do. Yeah. Have, um, I, I've, I've, it's, it's slipped my mind. And I, I, I yeah. apologize greatly to my co-host, B. Peterson. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we have a podcast together called All About Ovid. We talk about Ovid, the streaming service. Ovid, which is one of the best streaming services. They have a lot of deep cut art house stuff and a lot of international cinema from recent years. Uh, and on this last episode, we talked about An Elephant Sitting Still... Uh, the film by Hubo from 2018, which uh, is one of the best films of the decade. Uh, it is just a, this amazing contemplation of sadness and despair. Uh, we compared it to the Book of Job. Uh, hmm. And we also watched uh, other short films uh, that Hubo was involved in besides. Because Nothing uh, Sailing Still was Hubo's only movie. Uh, it was uh, his first feature film. It was also his last because he committed suicide shortly after making it. Uh, there's a lot to talk about in that movie, and uh, B has made it their goal to watch this film every year, like mm. make it sort of an annual tradition, and um, I, this is a tradition I encourage. Uh, so yeah, go over and listen to the 20th episode of All About Ovid to hear us talk about Hoopo and An Elephant Sitting Still, which is available on Ovid, and then watch that movie because it's really, really good. <laughs> cool. So uh, there's that. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, again. You're super awesome. We love Mm -hmm. you all. Um, And uh, we'll see you next week on another episode of We've Got Mail. And um, there will be other podcasts as well, because that's what we do. Anyway, bye. Sincerely, yours, Pibs and Whitney. (laughs) 